0: You're listening to episode number 191 of the uh, Ruby on Rails podcast. Excited today to be joined by Chris Ball, uh, who's going to be talking about from Rails Temper. Hey, Chris, how's it going? It's good. I should, you know, what I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try announcing our sponsors at the beginning of the episode, okay. starting right now today. Because you know, I, I've li- I listen to a lot of other podcasts, and I think the well done ones do that. So here, I'm, I'm going to test it out. Today's right. episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Linda and DigitalOcean. We'll talk to you a bit more about them later. I think that's better. Okay. So uh, from Rails to Ember, um, let's just jump right at, you know what, let's not jump into that yet. Tell me a bit about yourself and then let's get into uh, let's get into that project after that.
1: Okay, great. Um, so I am founder of a small cons- consulting company called EchoBind. Um, I've been using Rails since probably the say the 2.0 days was when I jumped on. Um, so I think I think that was probably 2007, uh, something like that. Um,
0: yeah, that sounds I've really, right.
1: I've really enjoyed uh, using Rails for a very long time. Um, I'm still very much into it in terms of my back-end backend um, needs. Uh, Based on sort of where things have been going and, and sort of the whole, uh, you know, just single-page app, JavaScript framework, um, things that have, that have kind of risen up lately, um, my focus has sort of shifted around. Um, again, I still love using Rails in the back end, but um, these days it's, it's, it's a lot of Ember for me, especially uh, the front end is all Ember for all the apps that we do.
0: So give me um, an idea of hours. Like if you're going to spend one hour a week on rails, how many do you spend, uh, in Ember? I would
1: say it's probably for the most part, it's probably 80% Ember. I mean, if it's, I'm spending one hours, so if you're talking, a you know, full, a normal work week, um, it's, it's actually most, most of my hours are in Ember.
0: Wow. So your four-to-one um, Ember, is someone else handling the back end, or do you find that the, the back end for the types of apps that you're working on just isn't where most of the work is?
1: It, it actually depends. Um, it depends on the app a lot. So there are some, some apps that sort of have um, the Rails set up, the Rails world in place, um, and it's just kind of redoing the front-end in Ember. Um, other ones, you know, there's some you have to change the API around depending on how the initial one was, was set up and done. Um,
0: so I think I'm contractually obligated to ask if you are, uh, are getting on the JSON API bandwagon.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, I've been, been following that for quite a long time and really, really enjoy the way that basically you don't have to think about a lot of hard problems. I mean, API design is not easy. Um, and I think that that, that that project in particular helps a lot
0: every time so i don't think i've said this before but i i follow or i watch i think is the word that project on github okay and uh i do it because like not cuz i actually read all the issues because it's an overwhelming number of issues and amount of chatter but rather because every time i see an issue like you know people chirping back and forth about issues it gives me confidence that i don't have to think about it at all and like, if I saw no issues, I'd get worried. Like, oh, maybe I have to step up and, like, you know, be someone that's driving some of the thinking on this. But mm-hmm. as long as there's so much, you know, yik-yak, uh, I just sit back and enjoy the uh, the outcome. Yeah. <laughs> which has it's been great. great. I think yeah. so great. Absolutely. Um,
1: well, all, well out, I mean, outside of that, um, I just started um, helping organize Boston Ember, which is the Ember meetup in Boston.
0: Yeah. So, so is Brian um, not organizing that now? Did you start to take over that? Is that how it works? A,
1: a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Robert Jackson, um, is, is doing some of that now. Um, Brian's still involved, but he's got a lot of, he's, he's shifting some focus over to, um, Phoenix and Elixir. I think you had him on yep. this semi-recently and you kind of discussed that. Yep. Um, so I know that's, he's basically working on that and it's kind of hard to run a company and do two meetups and all that. So, um, I've just, I've kind of been helping out on the sort of behind the scenes for a little bit and, and just started doing it more formally.
0: I think that I should come up to a meeting. Yeah. I'm down in Connecticut. It's not, it's oh, not yeah, that nice. far.
1: Yeah, you definitely should.
0: You're West of, of Boston. Is that right?
1: I am. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm actually based in Stowe, Massachusetts, which oh, is yeah. kind of the wilderness compared to Boston. But
0: <laughs> Well, I went to school um, in Wellesley, um, at Babson college and Babson's about f- a third, maybe even 40% people from new England. um, mm-hmm. So there were a decent number of people from like every town of, uh, or not every town, but many towns in Massachusetts, including a few from Stowe. So I'm familiar. Mm. Nice. Um, Okay. So uh, let's get into from Rails to Ember. Um, So tell me a bit about the project, why you created it, what's uh, its goal.
1: Okay. So um, just first of all, starting with kind of my personal experience, um, kind of, ramping up on my own to Ember. There have been a lot of improvements uh, since I've done that in terms of documentation and um, community involvement and things like that, which I think does make it a little bit easier to get started now. Um, That being said, there's still a lot of um, unknowns to people. And since I experienced this, I sort of know the problems I kind of know how Rails developers think in general, um, especially when it comes to things like you know, MVC in the Rails world versus MVC in Ember and, and things like that. Um, just sort of in dealing with conventions and how you would save records to a database and just, you know, just lots, lots of things that you sort of get the general mindset. Um, and I've, I've helped quite a few other people kind of go through the same process. Um, I've also helped some of the companies that we work with, uh, at EchoBind sort of begin their transition over, um, And what I, what I really, when I started thinking about it, I thought it would be kind of one of the best things is to have sort of a hyper-focused audience. Right. So actually a lot of the ways like this podcast is, you know, you know who you're talking to, you kind of know the things that they might be into, um, makes it a lot easier than having just this wide blanket of like, if I were just to focus on Ember itself. Um,
0: yeah, I think it makes like even looking at the homepage and I read the, I read all of the tips, um, Okay. I don't know. Maybe about five days ago. But I, I think it's a very it's a very smart way to organize a kind of a, a website with content about learning Ember. Because you're right. If 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 you're talking to if you assume that the person you're talking to is an experienced Rails developer, you can assume a a whole lot about them, right? And, and what they know, right? And yeah, I, I thought that it was it's pretty effective. So let me list out some of the tips, and then let's talk about our favorite. Okay. Okay. So there are only I think eight or nine. So it'd be easy to list them all. (laughs) So okay, number one, embrace conventions. Uh, Let's go one by one. So embrace conventions. Like it's like what worked for Rails will work for Ember. Is is kind of how I read this one. Yeah, for sure. Not to say that the same conventions exist, but like conventions exist to the same degree in Ember as it did Rails.
1: Exactly, and just and you just really embracing those and not fighting with things in the framework i find i find often if you're fighting you're you're making things a lot harder than it needs to be and there's probably a much easier way to go about it
0: one of the trickiest things i remember when i was first learning rails that you know people would talk about embrace conventions just ad nauseum and i, I remember and it gets hard to remember this as the years go by but <laughs> sure. i remember that um i got a little bit frustrated in that i didn't know what it felt like for things to feel easy yet. And then like, once you've done it for a while, it's very easy to tell if you're like out of the stream. Right. Right. Because like things feel hard, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're like, okay, there's no way that other people in this community would put up with it being like this. So I know this is wrong, but in the beginning, everything feels hard. So like, you know, no, that's true. How yeah. can you, how can you sort out like what's, what are the problems being caused the by your own of how, of how hard it is, ineptitude yeah. <laughs> from those that are, that are actually, uh, you know, you going the wrong way. Right. Um, I, I kind of feel like that's a, I don't think that's a solved thing. Like when I, when I talk to people that are new programmers, you know, giving them sort of a cheat sheet for understanding if the problem they're facing is something that they probably would face if they like, like, like if, if that's a problem that the community faces, that's a hard sensor for them to develop.
1: Right. And, well, and then there's the other layer of if they're brand new to programming or if they're just new to the language.
0: Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. Because there's, I mean, it's not a short stack of things to know. Right. All right. So embrace conventions. Completely agree. Number two, there is no more page reload.
1: Yes. So this is less of a... Um, Ember specific issue, but more of just moving to a JavaScript framework. Um, you can still sort of run into this if you've if you've kind of gone down the um, the Turbo Links
0: path, I guess. But well, it's really any client framework, but it's, not yeah, just it's JavaScript.
1: Exactly, hey, that's true. But yeah, it's you know, we're used to as as Rails developers, we're very used to kind of that request response cycle, and everything gets kind of thrown away and rebuilt every time you click a link. Um, for the most part, I mean, you know, that's not hundred percent true, but
0: it's mostly true.
1: It's mostly true. Yeah. And so it's just to keep in mind that when you're dealing with this, you're, you, you just have to realize that your app is just going to load once and then you're going to fetch all the data for it. And you just have to make sure that you're, you have that, you keep that in mind.
0: So I knew this intellectually at the beginning when I started Ember, but it, it it's a good tip to have up front because it took me a little bit to have that really sink in mm. and say, Oh, right. Like that controller still there. Like,
1: yeah, Next not, time you load it up, you see something that was art that you had done previously.
0: One thing that I, and there, there's a ton of good about that. And there are some definite gotchas. Yep. Um, you know, for example, in rails, you could get away with, uh, um, in anything server rendered, really, you can get away with not pushing down changes from the server to the client in more cases than you can with an Ember app. Mm-hmm. Because in an Ember app, like you may have the one instance of the app up and running all day or for many hours at the very least. Yeah. And if you haven't thought through, like, uh, I, I have to reload the, you know, reload the models, but maybe you don't want to reload all of them. So because then you you lose some of the benefits of, of, uh, of Ember, especially for the models that are slowly changing. So then, you know, how do you, how do you sort of have the best of the both worlds? And at least for me, that's pushed me towards, you know, WebSockets much more and pushing things mm-hmm. down. And that's a, like, that's deeply intertwined with this, there's no more page reload issue.
1: Definitely, definitely. And, and you know, if, if you're building an app that has a lot of graphs, for example, and um, say you don't tear them down properly when you're changing routes, then, you know, you can run into situations where your memory just grows over time, which you wouldn't have that issue uh, in, a, in a normal server render down.
0: Yeah, I feel like this, I, th- I feel like number two could be expanded into many things. It could. Yeah. Like, and, and what are the consequences of their, of things, their being? go ahead.
1: Yeah. And I was just going to say, that's, that's one of the, the hardest things about this project to me is I really wanted to try to keep things short and um, concise. And some of them, it's, it's very hard to keep them that way. <laughs> so,
0: well, I think, you know, you can go back and say like, you know, what's the, so what of each tip and probably mine each of them for a whole bunch of other tips downstream. mm mm-hmm. Um, okay. Number three, start with the URL. I couldn't agree more with yes. this one. Tell me more about what you mean.
1: Okay. Um, so Ember's, one of Ember's core focuses is on URLs. Um, so that, you know, and a lot of, a lot of people sort of, when they, when they talk about this, they say, Oh, if I send a link to you, it should get basically the state of the app as I sent it. Um, whether that's various dropdowns on the page that you've set or th- things like that. Um, because an Ember URLs. Uh, drive kind of the state for your application they're they 're very very important i mean they 're one of the most important things in the app and typically, if you think through everything starting from a URL level um, you'll you 'll structure your application well
0: now do you when you build apps, do you tend to put everything in the URL not but- everything so
1: a lot so basically, I try to find the important things that that would you would expect to be sort of serialized and come back. If you were to go for the URL and, and, and one of the things that I think really helps while you're building an app in Ember is that you get the benefit of, of live reload. Um, so when you're, when you're building in these things and you want to get back to the state, it's very easy to tell if you're doing it properly because the page reloads and you're either there or you're not.
0: (laughs) I've had that exact (laughs) experience Yeah. where, I mean, that, that's sort of one of, and I think this is a great tip. That's one of the, like nudges to me when I'm working in Ember that I should put it in the URL Mm -hmm. is if I find myself kind of manually resetting up a page, um, I basically put it in the URL. Mm -hmm. Um, just because I figure if I have to do it twice in a test, it's probably, or while kind of manually testing things, then the likelihood that that's a, that that's a thing that a user would need to do is, is kind of high.
1: Mm. Agreed.
0: Um, And I, I think my initial bias, and I don't know if this was a coming from rails thing or not, was to not put enough in the URL. I kind of had like a, a fear of ugly URLs because of query params tacked on the end that I've, I've done away with now.
1: Yeah. I definitely think that that, I don't know, I guess it's just kind of a a mindset because I was in that mindset too. Um, I think, I think it was probably stemmed back from the earlier days before, you know, rails was a thing. And we were all used to these horrible URLs all the time. And then suddenly everything was cleaner. And so I think, I feel like that's kind of where it started.
0: Well, I think, I, so let's explore this a little bit more. I actually think that this may be a symptom of, of what I see as a, um, a bit of a problem, not a huge problem, but, but, but a sort of minor problem in Rails that I think has some negative consequences, the Rails community, I mean, mm-hmm. which is kind of a focus on preciousness that that uh, there is a i don 't know how to say it right, I think maybe it's because Ruby is so nice to write that it's possible to have like phenomenally clean everything, yeah, and that can lead to this sort of obsession with things being just precious, and I think that may extend to the URL sometimes that like you said, you know because the the state of things before rails was very ugly and, and frankly and in non Rails app still is pretty ugly, mm-hmm. that the the idea of having the sort of precious app with precious URLs just sort of got in, got uh, communicated out through the community. And I think it went a little bit too far. Yeah. And and what I've felt with, uh, with Ember is that I, I I've had to let go of that because JavaScript isn't so precious, frankly, <laughs> you know, so like I couldn't write things as nice. Like they just would never look as nice. Yeah. You know, it's,
1: it, I mean, it's definitely hard, especially if you're talking about just looking at the language and how everything reads. I mean, Ruby is going to be a tough thing to beat in that regard. I don't know that anything will beat it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and I've decided that it, maybe that's not a goal that's worthwhile. Right. Like I, I, in, like I still get to write lots of Ruby code and I, you know, make it look just so nice. <laughs> and then when totally. I'm writing JavaScript code, ah, <laughs> uh, well, when in Rome, what the hell?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, there are some things I think that are that are making it better. So with the use of um, kind of the ES6 stuff now, um, for example, in 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 Rails, I think people will get very used to CopyScript. It's built in by default. Um, this will this is probably a later tip I just haven't gotten to yet, but um, yeah, it's it's. It's interesting because the you sort of try to fit your JavaScript into looking like Ruby and making it look a little bit nicer, and I think that's kind of what leads people initially to going down CoffeeScript road. Um, but things are getting a lot cleaner, I think, uh, with the way that you can just define your functions and and you can you know they have things like fat arrow functions that people are somewhat used to with CoffeeScript yeah. that make things look a little bit nicer and a little bit less of like oh this is this, this huge mess of JavaScript.
0: Now I kind of so I initially did the exactly what you said, which is I wrote my JavaScript uh, in CoffeeScript because it it didn't feel like such a context switch between Ruby and CoffeeScript. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've come to believe that that was um, sort of like a bad mental health strategy. So I've got like a personal analogy on this. So I recently moved from or last year moved from Chicago to Connecticut. Mm. And in Chicago, I lived, you know, or my family lived downtown, like real high up in a skyscraper was super interesting. Like it was a really interesting lifestyle, you know, as urban as urban gets mm. and very cool. Yeah, sure. And we were there for a while and now we live in the country, you know I mean? Like I, mm-hmm. I live on 10 acres with a pond and you know, wow. like a zoo of animals outside and <laughs> and it's a big difference. And my wife and I talk about all the time, sort of how do you how do you make that transition and not be depressed? Right. Because there's a lot to miss. Yes. And I think that the worst thing you could do is to try to make here like Chicago, like, because it's not. So you're going to, you're going to just be flailing to try to make it something that it's not. And what JavaScript is, is ubiquitous. It's not pretty, you know, it's not expressive. um, At least, I mean, I agree. Yes. Six is sort of expressive, but it's not expressive like Ruby is. So like, Right, I think it, it, by writing JavaScript instead of CoffeeScript, it's like reminding myself to just embrace what it's good at and not sort of begrudge it for what it's not. Absolutely, and not not to you know be all life hacky on on the show, but
1: <laughs> no, that's that's good. Um, that's good
0: but, but it's sort of like moving here, like I, you know, I. Yeah, you can't say,
1: oh, there's not ten restaurants down the street.
0: You yeah, like to... no 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 kidding. <laughs> <It's, I'm, laughs> like there aren't ten restaurants within yeah, two miles no, I'm,
1: the, I'm the same way with where i live so no, definitely not 10 acres but we do have that problem
0: yeah yeah i mean it's i'm i'm, I'm like in the my house is like uh, kind of like sticks out into like a wetlands so ah. it's that that's why the the land and uh it's very pretty but it's not skyscrapers that's for sure yeah. let's take a quick break and thank our first sponsor digital ocean DigitalOcean provides simple and fast cloud hosting built for developers. Create a cloud server in 55 seconds and for as little as 5 bucks per month. DigitalOcean is built for developers and used by over 400,000 of them, including me. Uh, it's highly scalable to meet the demands of a rapidly growing application or business. You can even resize your existing droplets to meet your needs as you grow. You can choose your OS, so Ubuntu, CentOS, Debian, Fedora, CoreOS, and FreeBSD. One-click install for apps like Django, Docker, Drupal, LAMP, uh, GitLab, MediaWiki, Node.js, WordPress, Ghost Magento, OwnCloud, Ruby on Rails, and many more. All servers are built on hex-core machines with dedicated ECC RAM and RAID SSD storage. Servers can have up to 20 CPUs, 64 GB of RAM, and 640 GB of SSD hard drive space. You can deploy servers in regions all over the world with gigabit speeds and 99.99% uptime. Full-featured DNS management, and uh, that means you can easily manage all your domains. Auto backups and snapshots allow you to easily clone and deploy servers. And it's so easy to get started, you can deploy an SSD cloud server in as little as 55 seconds. They also have an extremely active community offering the largest and most detailed set of tutorials on system administration that exists. And I totally agree. I've gone to DigitalOcean's uh, blog or wiki or, or whatever they call it, the, the uh, knowledge base, many times to... Uh, to uh, learn a bit more about DevOps topics that I really don't know that well. Their community is perfect if you're just getting started or looking for support on deploying Docker. So uh, head on over to their website. It's digitalocean.com to learn more. And when you sign up... um, Use the code ruby podcast at checkout for a $10 credit. That's two months at their lowest price a $10 credit towards your new account. So thanks to DigitalOcean for supporting this show. <laughs> okay. Tip number four, uh, controllers are not controllers. Yes.
1: So this one, um, I'm going to be happy with coming up in number two, how their controllers are going away. So this tip, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Just have it archived, I
0: guess. Um, but in the state, <laughs> you'll need to you'll need to like version from ember to rails just like the guides yeah, are a version yeah there. you know
1: someone actually sent a, a tweet about that recently and i was trying to think through how i could even do that and it's just i think it's just it's too much work
0: i don't um, think you should try honestly i think you should just so edit really out the old stuff
1: just yeah i'll try to keep everything current and that's kind of what i all i can do and you know so but on, on one hand i'm actually glad that this won't be as much of a hang-up anymore um but in the current state of things, um, you know, controllers are, are kind of responsible for decorating your models, so to speak. And sort of, if you have state in your application, it's, it's sort of, it kind of moves your application through the state. And, 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 you know, if you're dealing with a form and validations, those are usually controller level things. And, and typically we would think as rails developers to put them, it's, so it's definitely a model level concern, um. But usually validations, if you think about them outside of just making sure valid values are going in the database they 're really going to be contextual to what whatever you're doing in the app at any given time um, so that's that 's why they 're on controllers but really it's just from a rails perspective you in a controller you're actually going to fetch data from your database and then you're going to pass it down to your views that I am so used to calling templates. So I may switch the two around, Um, which probably is, actually another tip in my backlog, but yeah. So you're, you're, you're used to fetching things in the controller, but that's not really what you would do in Ember. Um, the routes are actually what's responsible for fetching data.
0: And that's the headline, I think, which is like, you know, you, the, the, if you're getting data in the controller, you're doing it wrong. Exactly. And the, the, what you think of the controller before the render is they route. out. Yeah. What now let's talk quick about the Ember two Oh controllers go away deal. So I read the RFC originally, but haven't kept up with the chit chat since then. So what, what will be like the standard idiomatic way to bubble events off of components? Is it the way the components currently do it?
1: Yeah. So you're going to still use components in, in the same way. Um, But they're going to, they're basically making what are called routable components and it's not fully defined. Um, but the idea is that where you would normally use a controller today, um, it'll basically become a component.
0: Okay. So in the route, you can say like, use, use component. Like, I know it won't say this, but it would make sense to a current Ember developer. You'd say like, use component or use component as controller. And then, like, say the name, and like, yeah, like I'm sure by convention it'll look up something, but that that will be how it it rigs up the the component instead of the controller to the route. Is that right?
1: Something like that. Yeah, I think basically it's going to come in. Things are going to come in as an attributes hash um, in some way. I'm not. It's it's not even. It's not clear to me actually um, how they go from the route to the controller. Um, But yeah, in the same way that we would use a model hook now, and then that model would actually that model hook would actually set the model for the controller. Um, it would instead set that for the, for the component. For the
0: component. And then will the, will the event bubbling work the same way that it currently does in component, which it's, is the components.
1: Yeah. As far as I understand it, it'll be the same, exactly the same.
0: Well, so, I, that, that'll, I bet it'll be interesting to see how people respond to that because there's, it seems like there's often a good bit of confusion around the, um, the, the sort of difference between how controllers and components work with respect to, to action bubbling. M- yeah. m- maybe just having one way will solve a lot of the confusion, even if it's different than how most people use things now within controllers. Yeah. And
1: then, you know, just having to, to, when you would say send action, uh, versus send, for example, Right. Um, and really I feel like send action should have somehow had the word bubble in the name because you know, you're, you're basically, that's what you want to use to send out of components. And then from there you would do the normal kind of bubbling with send. So it's, it's a little bit, I can see why it's a little confusing for people. But.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty convinced that, that send action is, has two things missing. Like I agree with what you said, like bubble action may, you know, or, or something that was a bit more explicit that says like, Hey, we're going to break out of the component sort of isolated component context and get this action out. I think that's one thing, but I think the other thing that's weird is when you say like send action foo, you're not actually bubbling an action named foo. You're bubbling an action or you're bubbling whatever the property or the attribute foo is on the component up, which I think is very unclear if you didn't understand it. Yeah. Like, so say if, if the attribute foo is set to bar and you say send action foo, then really what happens is bar gets sent, um, not foo, which is weird. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, it's when you're calling your comp- component, you have to, you're, you would set bar equals something. And then that something would be the action that's hit in the controller. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Right. Uh,
0: but, but if you like, if, if you hadn't under, like, I remember when I was first learning and I didn't know that, like I, 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 I whatever, didn't read the documentation and didn't set the foo equals bar in the component. Um, when I called it, then later when I was like, Oh, I, have got to bubble up the action bar or foo. Uh, then like I, I, just had it in my mind that saying send action foo would actually send the action foo instead of, of sort of resolving what foo is. Mm. Um, but anyhow, I, I, there's something to this. In other words, I think that my guess is that the unification of controllers and components will help iron out these issues yeah, because then there'll only be one good. way to do it.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: All right. Tip number five. And one last thing on that. So this controllers are not controllers is def- I think would be a contender for thing that gets in the way quickest with rails yes. developers. Do you, <laughs> do you think so? Yes, I
1: totally agree with that.
0: Oh, and here we go. Tip number five, you already understand models. I like this one because you're right. They're yeah, not, they're so just not, not much different.
1: They're not. Um, I would say the main or main yes, major <laughs> difference <laughs> would be that, you know, you, I think in, in rails, you tend to put a little bit more logic in your model than you do in, in Ember, because there are some things that end up going on basically the controller because they're sort of more in context of the application as you're going through it and less just kind of focused on persistence. And they're mo- mostly that's what um, models in Ember are focused on. So you have your attributes. You may have some things that have computed properties based on those attributes to make things a little nicer. Um, but you don't have a ton of logic in them usually.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I also then, think uh, it's, it's it, it makes sense too, that there'd be more fortification closer to like the the ultimate source of truth like so because because yeah. when i read this I, I took a look at like models in an app that i'm working on on the rail side and on the ember side and you're right like the models in rails had a lot more going on and but most of the lot more going on was just sort of the 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 defense mechanisms to say like okay i've got a really like in, in the rails app it has to really sort of manage all of the persisted data very carefully. And Ember, you know, is sort of a client of that. So it doesn't have to, I mean, it has to worry a little bit about those things, but that's really just more for user convenience than like the good of the app.
1: Right. Right. And another thing that I thought was helpful with in this sort of this context is to almost think of your API as a database. Um, So when you do things like call model.save, Conceptually, works exactly the same um, in Ember and in Rails, and the difference being that in with Ember, it's actually making you know making a post request for you, um, and in in Rails, it's the, just saving to the database. Yeah, and and I, I think th- just th- ment- th- mentally having that sort of that feeling in mind, I think, is helpful.
0: Yeah, and that's why I think JSON API is so critical yeah. because th- that allow once we've hit the the promised land of what that should give to us, and the <laughs> you know the um, on the Rails side, we can depend on libraries like JSON API resources, and on the Ember side, we can depend on the adapters. And you know, the standard is the thing that, that enables each of those to sort of flourish. Then the percentage of the time that we worry about either the you know the adapters and the serializers on either end, either the server or the client, will just go down to very low. And that's just not people's experience so far. I don't think. Agreed. Uh, Okay, tip number six, routes fetch data. Yes, this is another
1: contender for um, places that people get tripped up a bit. And it's not so, a lot of times, you know, we just mentioned that you, as a Rails developer, you're used to fetching data in the controller. Um, There are some cases where you need to do that, but more often than not, Um, I would say 99% of the time, you really want to try to fetch data in the routes. It's kind of the route's responsibility, especially as you're thinking of driving things from a URL standpoint. So, you know, you go to a URL that goes to the route. The route sort of gets the data that we need and passes it down. I think from there it can be manipulated, you know, however you need in the application, but just in terms of getting getting the data that you need to render the page.
0: I think that, I don't remember if this is in tip number six, I suppose I could look, but I... (laughs) Um,
1: I may not remember either. It's okay. I'm going to look we're <laughs> talking.
0: one thing that I think, um, would be, oh yeah, you do talk about it. So one thing that I think is understressed is that it's not just the model hook in the route that gets data, but you can do other things. If you need to set multiple things, for example, on the controller, then those multiple things are at least typically also set in the route, just not in the model. And yes. I, I've seen a lot of conversations online where people really go through some mental gymnastics to not see it that way. Like, like, like yes. what if I want two models to return? You're like, well, no, you know, <laughs> there's one model hook and then you can also set other things on the controller if you want to, you know, mm-hmm. one more, zero more or, and more. And, yep. uh, there's, I don't, I don't know why that's confusing, but it's definitely confusing. And I think it relates to this tip.
1: Yeah. Totally agree.
0: Number seven, feel at home with Ember CLI.
1: So yes. This one is a big one, uh, from my perspective. So one of the one of the things that sort of drives everyone to love Rails, I think, is that, you know, right out of the box you have a really easy way to do everything you need. So you can generate routes, you can you have a test harness built in. You have all these things, just just by running Rails new, that ha- happen for you, and make it so that you don't have to think about a lot of stuff. And Ember CLI brings that to Ember, which is awesome. And so I think this is one of the biggest things. And actually, in terms of talking about um, the most popular tips, this is actually the, the highest trafficked tip on the site. Oh, really? Which is kind of which I found kind of interesting because it's it's something that I don't know if it's just people are more interested in it or it's easier maybe it's better search terms I don't know <laughs> but um I think I think it's it's one of the key things that makes getting started on Ember nice and bef- you know before this came around I think it was much much harder to get going and that's what people are looking for when they get started in a framework is just give me something really cool really fast and you know build on it from there
0: Ember CLI is really quite amazing
1: It's awesome.
0: So I, I started to learn Ember like after Ember CLI was a thing, but before it had been anointed the, you know, the way. Yeah. So a lot of the books and documentation and examples were not Ember CLI or I'd say very few were Ember CLI, even though the writing was on the wall, that things were going that way. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that mirrors my my experience with the internet. So like my age, I was the age where the internet just was coming to be at the end of high school. <laughs> yep. So like yeah, I, yeah. I I saw both sides. Like I, you know, my entire youth basically was without the internet, with except for a mm-hmm. tiny little glimpse of what was coming, and then college was when I think the you know things switched. Um, yeah, exactly. So from the beginning of college to the end of college was like the world completely changed, and I, I kind of feel like the, uh, my experience with Ember is similar to that. That I I saw just enough of the pre-Ember CLI world to kind of appreciate what we've got now.
1: Yes, uh, and you know a lot of people from I'm I'm happy just strictly, well, so I'm very very happy from a user perspective of it, um, but I'm also happy from sort of the consulting side of the the coin. Um, because the last thing I want to do when I go on a project is go in and help people with their grunt tasks and like their whole manual setup that they have to do all this stuff. And so just knowing, and it kind of goes along with conventions as well. Um, you can hop onto a project and just know just like in rails where all the files are going to live, how things are generally structured and that helps a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, when Hey, you if you're consulting, on. you're doing this a lot too. So if you know, if you're working inside of a company on, you know, a, one or a couple apps, then kind of once once you've got a build process, however hairy it is, well, that's the deal. And you probably, at least to some degree, forget about how rough it was to set that up. But if you're working on a new project every N weeks, oh man, you know, then you got to go give birth to well, a new even, project constantly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even internal apps, typically what happens is people have a way to set it up And then when they go for the new, newer project, um, in your internal apps, you're going to take the same thing, but you maybe try to make it a little better. Right. And then now you have two ways of doing it, you know? And so you you still kind of have this problem, even if you have your, your way set, so to speak, you're always going to try to improve it. And so just to not have to think about that is huge.
0: Yeah. All right. Tip eight debugging and the Ember inspector. I feel like this should be tip eight through 79 for me (laughs) because like, it has my proficiency with Ember is directly related to my proficiency debugging in Chrome. Like, <laughs> cause right now I've got yeah. all of this well, sort of any Go ahead.
1: Go ahead. Oh, It's, it's any, any time you have a new thing that you're learning, um, you know, you, it's when it's not old hand, you're going to have to be in the debugger a lot more than you will,
0: you know, in the future. Yeah. 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 Like when I think about, it's a good point. So I think about how I develop Rails apps. I'm seldom in a debugger. Um, I basically can go test-driven on anything and, and mm-hmm. just sort of drive out the, the feature and then the implementation that way. And right. I, I just, I, I don't feel like testing is that rough in Ember, so I, I like it, but I'm, it's just not the same yet. I'm not, I'm not as fast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and plus there are, I understand how Rails works so much better. That in Ember, there are, there are a bunch of things. I just don't understand how they work yet. And being able to sort of debug inside the Ember code oh, has been a godsend to me. So, nice. so important. Totally agree.
1: So, I th- you know, I think they're generally speaking, there's a lot of carryover. So things work similar, um, you know, with being able to log certain things out and a. Uh, Put in, dropping a debugger command, whether the debugger command is actually pry or byebug or something like that, um, versus just writing debugger when you're in JavaScript land, um, I think those are you know people get that. I think for the most part, um, it's it's more as you get going and what do you do once you hit that. So once you hit that debugger, or you know there's there's a kind of a, a graphic that I put in about setting up there's a a pause on uncaught exceptions that looks like a little pause button.
0: (laughs) Torin Phillips told me about this like two weeks ago and (laughs) it's changed my life.
1: Yeah. It's, it's every single time I open, um, debugger tools with someone and that's not on, I'm like, you should definitely check this. I mean, there are times where it gets in your way and then when it gets in your way, you can undo it. But I think in general case, as you're developing, it's very important. Uh, so helpful. Save your life.
0: <laughs> I also, so similarly, and I, this is embarrassing that I didn't know this, but setting, um, break points, um, in the scripts has been sim- like, I don't know, as helpful, but pretty helpful.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Um, and I, I just hadn't, I hadn't done that before. I think, I don't even know why. Like I, I, well,
1: I think, I think you're not as generally speaking, you're not as, javascript heavy so you know you're going to have something on the page and it might be pretty interactive um you have a lot of things going on but for the most part you probably have you know just a set of functions and nothing too too crazy right um you know if you're doing like a multi-step wizard things like that you might have some more things going on but when here you're living in it all the time i think you're you're definitely going to need it more
0: yeah um like even, I, I couldn't believe how long it took me to even figure out the most simple things like the dollar E deal with Ember Inspector. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that's like in hindsight, like, duh, that's like half the point of Ember Inspector is that yet. <laughs> I don't know. I just, my,
1: I had the same thing actually. So for a while I'm like, you know, what is this little E thing? I didn't even use it when right. I first started cause I didn't really know what it was, <laughs> you know? So I, t- I totally get it.
0: I feel like that, I mean, and I think this, this website is very much what this idea is about, but if you're starting in Ember and you're just, you know, not, you're starting very much without ever, you know, working in a JavaScript sort of framework that's as robust as Rails is, except it's client side. Like you just need to read a bunch of these things. And like someone say, listen, don't even write any code yet. I'm just going to say a bunch of stuff. And then downstream, you're going (laughs) to, it's going to like trigger something when you're yeah. Frustrated, but you, at least you've heard it once.
1: Exactly. You just internalize it all now and it'll come out as you go.
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about remembering, but like, listen, <laughs> yeah. because well, you th-
1: can't, you can't remember. It's just too much, but yeah.
0: All right. Tip nine. And this is the, the last one. And then we're going to take a break into a sponsor and then brainstorm what's coming next. So, okay. uh, nested routes equals nested UI.
1: Yes. Um, this is a huge hangup for a lot of people. Um, that we're used to defining routes in a nested way, um, just when they're related and it's not always the case. So this tip is basically, and, and actually Tom Dale, um, was, this is a suggestion that he had. Um, I did have it on my list and he said, you know, as soon as the site launched, actually, he, he said that this, you have to focus on this. This is something that we see a lot of rails people tripped up on. Um, and I think it's it's the word nested may be a little bit confusing to people. Um, you just have to not. The URL plays a part in it, but it's it's more thinking about the router in Ember as defining sort of your interface. And if your interface is nested, be it tabs or uh, like a master-detail list kind of thing, basically when you want multiple templates to render on the screen at the same time, is another way to think of it. Um, then that's, that's really what nested means.
0: Yeah. So multiple templates, multiple slash nested templates require nested routes.
1: Basically. Yeah. And so the example that I use a lot, that's not a master detail list because I know people are used to seeing like the to-do app and things like that. And the the example that I used in this tip actually is when you're using a tab interface and you're making, you know, the tabs are typically LI elements. And you're using Ember's link to on those, and you want it to automatically mark a tab as active when you're in it. And so you have to render, um, those, the templates for that under the, the tab basically. And then if you have things that are, they're on sort of, I don't know, sub tabs is probably a bad word, but you know, you can have things go down a little bit further and, and have even more templates, but, but the easiest way I think of it is these tabbed, the tabbed interfaces basically.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I think I, I agree that this is something that people get hung up on. I, I think I've read, like, I I think I actually read this tip, uh, this week to remind me of something, but, I, but I've also heard Tom talk about it in, and, and I don't know like like a lot of this, there, there comes a, a time where it no longer is an issue to sort of embrace what, you know, embrace the way to think about how to design the apps. But until you're there, there's a lot of hesitancy to, to design uh, t- to design things sort of using as many nested routes as I think is appropriate in a lot of cases, especially for a more complicated app.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one to explain. Uh, this one, this one for me was a hard one to go through and sort of try to outline in an easy understand way. Um, hopefully I did that, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's a concept that I think it doesn't sink in right away either.
0: Well, so it, it, well here's a, here's a theory as to why maybe this is a thing for rails developers. Um Most of us have been bitten by nested routes on the server side Mm -hmm. Um, because uh, like in, in the beginning you assume that, you know, that, that to get to a given resource, you're always going to get to it sort of in a given context, which is underneath a given thing. And so you build things assuming that, and then there comes a time where you, you need to do it differently, right? Like like you, like you need a controller uh, the, the controller to work either if it's nested or if it's not nested. And now you've got a bunch of sort of conditional logic in the controller and then things get a little crazy from there. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, that creates some fear, at least for me around what's going to happen when I start nesting things, am I going to regret this? And, w- w- but I think that that's misplaced because on the server side now, nothing's nested in my apps. Yeah. Like it's all top level way. with, mm-hmm then you can get to things through the relationships, right? So I can, you know, if I've got Foo ID one and it's got a relationship to bars, then I can get to the bars through Foo because there's a relationship. But besides that, there's nothing nested. Yeah. Uh, but in the, on the client side, things are nested all over the place because the templates are so nested and Mm -hmm. sort of, uh, making that transition and sort of dealing with that difference I think is complicated.
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, sometimes it just requires not nesting at first and seeing how that plays out for you right. and then realizing, okay, yeah, I actually do need to have this render at the same time. So it has to be nested.
0: Yep. This episode is brought to us by, uh, lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3000 on demand video courses to help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash Ruby on Rails. lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, or boost your Photoshop skills. If so, go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. Uh, Here are some of the courses that... Uh, may make sense for people listening to this podcast. There's uh, uh, a course called RSpec Testing Framework with Ruby. Just search for any of these names and you'll find it on lynda.com. Code Clinic, Ruby, Ruby Essential Training, and Localization for Developers. Um, I have not really taken many Lynda courses on Ruby programming because I already know how to how to do that reasonably well. But for for adjacent skills that uh, I need as part of my... Sort of work and, and home life, I've used Linda, for example, for uh, design. You know, I'm, I can kind of hack it if I have to, but I'm not that great. And Linda's perfect to brush up on a skill like an illustration skill or a photo manipulation skill or a uh, UX layout skill that, you know, maybe I. I, uh, am okay at, but could use a little bit of, uh, training on how the uh, professionals are doing it. So that's how I've used lynda.com. And, uh, I, I have a sense that would work uh, pretty well for others too. Uh, if you sign up for lynda.com, your membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, visit lynda.com slash Ruby on rails and sign up for your free 10 day trial. All right, There we go. There's lynda.com. Cool, cool. So if you're up for it, let's brainstorm some of the critical tips that I think may be next. You up for that?
1: For sure. Absolutely. And on that note, um, especially if people listening have things they are struggling with or, um, you know, ideas for tips. I, I, I have a form on, from rails to Ember, um, to send those in. Um, so yeah. And, you know, Twitter works too, but let's do it.
0: I think it'd be a fun feature for what it's worth to, for, uh, the community to vote on the most critical tips. Like, so imagine... Cause, cause I, when I read your site, I, I, I'm constantly thinking about like the, the order of them, which is the most important. Like if I could only tell someone one thing, which of these things <laughs> would I tell them? If I yeah, could only tell them yeah. three things, which order would I tell sure. them in? Um, I think that may be revealing just as an aside.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's my tip number, tip number 10 or number one. That's not on here is like async, 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 async promises, 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 Mm-hmm. Um, that you have, you know, unless you have, uh, unless you've gone a little bit off the beaten path, you have not dealt with async, like you're going to have to deal with it. So (laughs) learn up right now. Yes. I agree with that. Um, that's a hard one too.
1: It's tough. Yeah. The, the, uh, draft title for that is called promise me something. (laughs) (laughs) there we go. We'll see. We'll see.
0: (laughs) This is fun. So we'll see how many have a draft title.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a backlog at the moment, I think of like 50. So (laughs) that'd be hard for us to make it. I'm sure
0: (laughs) that one's pretty, like, I think you can't get too far into Ember into really building an app. I think all of the toy apps don't have to deal with this because they all kind of like the, uh, wave away the actual dealing with the server and use fixtures uh or don't async the relationships and therefore you can kind of not worry about these things. But as soon as you've got a real server, oh my goodness. Async.
1: <laughs> yep. Definitely.
0: Um okay. Uh adapters. Yes. And, and there may be a theme here, which is like you know, things in Ember data that people don't you <laughs> don't necessarily want to deal with early. Um yeah, for sure. But like Adapters are a thing that, in the best case, you cannot worry about. But if you don't have any idea of how they work, then inevitably, when something goes wrong, like you're working on an API that isn't conforming to whatever standard on a given resource or in general, then you have to like roll up your sleeves and do something about it. You can feel pretty lost pretty quick. Totally. Or, um, I felt I lost. Right along the
1: same line as that. Yeah, exactly. That's so coming s- next. As soon as you have an API that doesn't return an ID for something, then it's you know,
0: what do I do? <laughs> and I yeah. don't think that either of either adapters or serializers are like punishingly complex, really. When no. you when you get into it, but if you, you're coming from a place of not knowing much, they they feel it. Yep. Which is sort of like all of Ember, actually. That's <laughs> true. Like once you know a bit, it's not that rough, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, early on it can be pretty rough yeah uh, I think that the coffee script like drop coffee script now and just embrace your ES6 future yep are, so are, far
1: your three four. yeah all these so far are on so that's good uh, I don't know if async or promises should be separated they're, they're you know I'll, well, I'll have to see how that plays out because it's possible that the promise one can be long enough by itself and then build on it, but maybe they can they can go together.
0: Yeah. Anyway, but yes. <laughs> yeah, because I think that there's like one which is the general like JavaScript point, which is, you know, promises are not. Things are, are it's a, it's a, you know, concurrent language and Ruby's not and you've got to get used to that. And then promises is like... V- a particular thing you're going to deal with a lot in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, do you agree with the drop coffee script point by the way? A hundred yeah. percent. Um,
1: so that's kind of what I touched on before about it. You know, a lot of the reasoning for coffee script is because it looks nicer. Mm-hmm. And I think that moving forward with the SX functionality, things do look nicer. Um, it's never going to be as pretty as Ruby. It's just not, but it, it's a huge step in that direction.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and also you have things like in an action, if you return something truthy, it bubbles. And so coffee script, because it has an implicit return, that can bite a lot of people. Yes. Suddenly your action is bubbling when you don't mean it to.
0: Yep. Uh, testing is is similar to what you're used to. Like, and not that rough. That's that's definitely one for me. Yep. Because that, that, that sort of surprised me. Uh, yeah, you would expect it to be
1: a totally different world, and there there are things that are a little different. But generally speaking, you know, you're used to to helpers from Capybara like fill in, you know, stuff like that. You're, I think, a lot of the stuff makes sense. You're used to using the visit keyword. Um, the one awesome thing about it is when you're writing apps, tests for apps and Rails that have a lot of async functionality, um, it can get pretty hairy where you have to do you know, click a button and then wait for some element to appear on the screen to know it's finished and, and then go from there. And stuff like that is just gone.
0: Yeah, it uh, works when doing
1: testing in Ember, which is just awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that the thing, I, maybe the detail that I'd add is that like embrace acceptance testing. So again, like, Ruby, I think, you know, Like like you're coming from the other side, you know, so you're you're sort of building up your unit tests on all the components and then stitching them together. And then when you have a an Ember app as your client, you know, that's rendering the application for the user on the in the web at least. Then kind of come at it from the entire other side, like that the place that testing is easiest in Ember, at least in my experience, is acceptance testing, and models are are at least for me, haven't, haven't been hard. I think that control Mm -hmm. like other things between the model and the uh, kind of the whole rigged up app on the acceptance side, that that's a little tricky for me. And I've sort of just abandoned it. So I either am testing like the app as it's being used through acceptance testing or the models as some building blocks, kind of like I do with unit testing in Ruby, but in those two areas, I don't know. It's not that bad. It's pretty Mm good.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. It's great. Uh, um, the release cycle. Like that, it is a. That's a good point. Big. I do not have that tip. Really? <laughs> I don't. Oh, I, 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 I feel so excited. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to add anything. <laughs> I thought I was just going to like no. spoiler alert all of the coming tips.
1: <laughs> not a problem. We'll just change the order for any spoilers. <laughs> you'll, you'll never know what's coming. <laughs> yeah right.
0: Yeah, I think that the the release cycle is a double-edged sword that I like the sharp side of, you know, I like the good side of it. Um, but man, it means that you have to really have your eye out for versions of tips and documentation and like stay up on things. Whereas in, in rails, you can kind of like snap a chalk line at a given point in time.
1: And you can, you can forget about things till you need to use some kind of new feature and then, then read up on it pretty easily. I'd say, yeah yeah but I, I i honestly think that over time ember will get there too i mean you know rails is ancient at this point by comparison um they've been there a lot of the main stuff is very stable um and doesn't change much and so i think that helps in that regard
0: yeah i think like a intro like um the rails overlords are not like the 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 ember overlords is a tip Because it has a lot of implications that matter, like because like there isn't a DHH, there is is a definitely not. And you know, I uh, this isn't a shot at him, but like for the better, I mean that. Like Tom and Yehuda are like a model of how you should run things, Mm -hmm. at least in my opinion. And knowing that that is the case, then you get introduced to things like the RFC process, the involvement in standards, the like the way the community is run the fact that there's a uh, an events person on the core team there are documentation people on the core team like there yeah. are so many implications from the diff- the leadership difference yeah. that y- you just wouldn't know if you didn't know and everyone on the
1: core team is required to be on you know a decent size application to really sort of feel the pain that everyone else is mm-hmm. and it's not that it's not that I'm saying the Rails core team members aren't um it's just that it, they they made that an explicit requirement in Ember, which I think is great because you're getting all these different perspectives, different companies, different types of problems. And it's, it's it's good.
0: Yeah. And I think like I, when I say that, I think it sounds like I'm being hypercritical of DHH and I, maybe I am, but I I think it's more just that they're like, we learn over time how to best handle big open source projects like this. Mm -hmm. And I think that they took all the good from how, you know, what rails figured out over the years and just added stuff to it. So like, I don't think you trade off. I don't think you lose the good of how DHH sort of originally got things going. And then has shepherded the project. And since right. then you just get more, right. Which I is, agree. which is nice.
1: I love his new perspective, by the way. I don't know if you caught like the recent tweets after his keynote where he's, you know, I th- I feel like in the past, he's very much like, you know, JavaScript frameworks are horrible, and no one should use them. This is the path forward, and I feel like now he's come around more and saying, "Look, this is not my bag. I don't like it, but I like that Rails is welcoming and open for all these apps to coexist well." And I, I think, at least from my outside perspective, that was that's a really nice change.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way that I would say it is that it's like it cracked the door open enough for a foot to get jammed firmly in there. And mm-hmm. then for people to walk right through, like I, I think he's, I think he's really not being anything more than like nose holding ecumenical. Like, like in other words, like he's sort of putting up with other things. Cause he knows that that's a, that's a good way to, to keep well, really to, to have rails be what it can, can and should be, which is like the standard server. Um, right. Server side for most apps. Um, right. I don't think that, I don't really think that he's opened his mind about, um, why server rendering is popular though. Um, because I, I listened to his, his talk again and mm-hmm. I, I talked about this in the last podcast will so I won't repeat the whole thing, but That's I think, true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, but, but I think that, I mean, there's a, I think that there is something religious between server rendering and client rendering. And if if, if your whole app is rendered on the server, then rendering things in the client does not make sense and vice versa. Yep. So there is this divide where it can, it, it can feel very threatening to your ecosystem to sort of acknowledge that client rendering makes sense. Because if you acknowledge it, it makes sense. That means that like nothing will be server rendered for those apps, which is a little scary. I think. Yeah but, but you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like a little whatever on turbo Link three. I think it, it probably makes sense for apps that stay server rendered. Uh, I do like action cable though. I'd like to see it wrapped in, a in sort of, a uh, an interface that, that other services can plug into mm-hmm. kind of like action job versus psychic.
1: Gotcha. Yep. Uh,
0: did you watch the keynote?
1: I watched parts of it. Honestly, I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I overall, like some of the things, I mean, for me, I'm, I I don't really, I guess I don't fully understand what my use case would ever be for the action cable stuff, but I'm happy to admit that I'm probably just missing something. I mean, there could be some stuff that's helpful.
0: Well, do you use pusher um, or anything similar? Do I use uh, pusher? Pusher or WebSockets or Socket.io rather. or Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's your solid. use case then.
1: Okay.
0: Like, I mean, Action Cable is just an a implementation of that inside of a Rails app. In other words, your gotcha. Rails server handles the, the pusher responsibility.
1: I see. Yeah.
0: And I mean, like, pusher is definitely a thing. So the idea that there's an open source built into the Rails app version of that seems like a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree.
0: Okay. Another tip. Um, I don't know how to phrase this one, but like, it's okay. You suck at JavaScript. Here's how to not suck at JavaScript. (laughs) Yeah. I like it because I, I find this, um, like, have you ever worked with someone that like, I feel like I've experienced this with like executives at big companies a number of times where like they've reached this place of some power, And it turns out they don't know how to like create a pivot table or sort data or Mm -hmm. write a sentence, (laughs) you know, whatever, whatever skill you would think they would know, they don't know. And it can actually be very scary, like intimidating for them. And they have trouble getting out of their own way, closing that knowledge gap because it seems like they should know. Yeah, no, I totally get you. That's how JavaScript feels.
1: Exactly. And you can be the best ruby developer in the world and be terrible at javascript just because you know you've used ruby a lot more you're used to it you 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 know javascript typically you know going to the whole sprinkles kind of phrase (laughs) um yeah you know i mean but it's a lot of apps where just you do the app and you put some jquery stuff in it and it can be complicated jquery stuff but you, you don't typically think in that you know a structured way with your JavaScript and you're just not used to really doing it. So I can, I totally understand that one. Yeah. And if, if you, you, you feel bad because it seems like something that's basic, but you don't want to kind of admit it or anything like that. And, but it's, as you said, it's okay. You know, you can get past it. And if you're a good developer, you pick things up.
0: Yeah. Well, it's even things like in, in, in Ruby, like the difference between how enumerables are handled between the two. It's yeah. just so big. Mm-hmm. That, you know, all you're, you know, cruising away on your Ember app and start to think about writing something that would be like 10 characters in Ruby. And it's just not. You know? <laughs> That's true. So, oh, well. Yep. Especially if you had gone the CoffeeScript route and kind of fooled yourself into thinking that JavaScript is sort of like Ruby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that transition can be a little rough. Yeah. Uh, okay. Related tip. Uh, use the Ember built-in like utility functions so um what are some examples like well like enumerable actually that's an example like so you know ember enumerable adds tons of methods like you know is any i'm gonna get the syntax wrong but sure. you know, is any is every is you know yeah. uh, map by that kind of thing
1: it's it's basically all of the stuff that you would typically install a library like underscore for, um, you don't have to do that because Ember has a lot of the things built in, like you said. Um, and honestly, a lot of them are similar to what they are in rails. I mean, there's some differences, but
0: they're well-documented and
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Most of the things you need are there. So like I've, I finally developed that work habit where if I need to write something, I first, like write something that would, that, that I know is going to be verbose. I take three minutes and search the Ember docs to see if the core library is it. Yes. Which took a little bit of time for me to realize that that's always a thing to do.
1: Yep. I'm, I'm with you. I've got, I've got dash up like 20 times a day for that exact reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm like, I think dash is one of the most amazing pieces of software.
1: Yeah. It's so useful. <laughs>
0: Yeah. All right. So those are some of mine.
1: I like it. I like it. It's a good, good list.
0: What's your, what's your, uh, what do you think is the, the one that's missing most from the list right now? Uh,
1: yeah. So I would say that it's, it's been tough because I've been, I know there's a lot missing in terms of, I haven't really touched on components. I haven't talked about adapters. Like you said, serializers, um, TDD is non-existent just testing in general is non-existent. Um, But I feel like there was a certain, you know, I'm just now getting to a point where there's a set of sort of base topics that I've gone through. And I can start to, because one of my goals with this is to not just make it beginner friendly, but make it, you know, as you continue, um, still be useful. And so things that you're going to run into at intermediate levels and more advanced levels of Ember, again, still with the Rails mindset, um, how to deal with all that. And so... I don't know I've, 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 I've been kind of trying to think through how I can add tips that way. So it's, do I jump around? Do I slowly build up? Uh, you know, kind of what's the best path, but definitely I need to get to that stuff.
0: So here are a couple more that may be, I think that may not be on your list that, that I was thinking about my experience this last two weeks. Cause I've been writing a lot more Ember this past two weeks than I had, or maybe three weeks than I had been the previous two months. Okay. Like you need a buddy. More than you did in rails. Like this is something I feel right now where rails is so ubiquitous in not ubiquitous. It's not accurate. It's so popular that the likelihood that you are going to Google for something and not find the answer is just low unless you're and Frankly, if you're doing something where that's not true, you probably know what you're doing enough to like figure it out. Yeah, I agree with that. Ember. Not so. Not so.
1: (laughs) And your, con- you know, the thing you mentioned earlier about a lot of the docs being, um, well, not so much the docs nowadays, but any Stack Overflow type stuff, any web search stuff, is going to still have a lot of the old style non Ember CLI um, definitions, and that's confusing. And things are slightly outdated because the framework's been moving along. And yeah, it's.
0: I hear you on that. You can get in the deep end real easy on something you that, can. that frankly isn't even that rough, right? Like I, mean, I saw- it's just
1: knowing that which way to go with it from the beginning. Right. Yeah. Which path to take and you start down the wrong one. And, you
0: know, I kind of think that that, I think that means that, that the way that I think you just, it, it, it suggests that you need a slightly different approach to learning that because like being completely on your own is harder in Ember than it is in Rails for that, for those reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and again,
1: I I do expect that over time to level out a little bit, but for sure. definitely where we are right now. Yeah.
0: Totally yeah. I agree. Me too. And like, just so just how do you get from, from here to there? Because I think that the, I think that the community accurately sells how good the community is. In other words, like one thing people will say about Ember right away to a new programmer is how great the community is. Yeah. And like, like I agree, I agree with that, but it's not big. That's true. That's and not. there's some cost to that. And I think that that can get lost in the sort of exuberance around the quality.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I hear what you're saying, especially if, you know, for people that live in an area that maybe they don't have, you know, a monthly meetup and don't get to run into people as often. Um, and on that note, it's, you know, reach out to people online. I'm happy to help people where I can. Um, there's also a community Slack channel, um, or IRC, if IRC is more your, your style, um, you know, where you can try, it, people are really good about helping, but as you said, the, the base just isn't it, the actual, I guess, user base <laughs> isn't as big. Um, so it's not as the information's not as readily available.
0: I've, I've been disappointed in the stack overflow sort of yeah, vibe. I've,
1: yeah. I tell people to just sort of avoid that, unfortunately.
0: Um, but that's, that's, that's part not part problem.
1: I know, I know. It's. I, I think, and I don't know how to address it. There was a thing a while back where, um, I guess really, if you use Stack Overflow, look at the date is all you can do. But there was there was this conversation a while back about well, how do we tell people these tips are out of date? Like, is there a way to say it out of date? Is there a way to say this isn't doesn't apply anymore because they won't let you delete anything? Um,
0: yeah, but I mean, you. I mean, but I don't know how what your reputation is on Stack Overflow. But I mean, if you have like. Uh, probably yours or mine. You can edit things.
1: Yeah. Like in other words, pe- like people
0: don't though. So
1: it's, it's tough to go back and edit everything.
0: But so here's my suggestion to them. I'm going to send this as a suggestion to okay. the team that to consider adding sort of a stack overflow ambassador to the core team, hmm. because it's, it's a problem, you know, like the, the, the likelihood that a question, cause it, cause it's sort of a, it feeds on itself right now the likelihood that a question gets answered on stack overflow is too low takes too long quality's not good enough and the existing answers are often dated they could be up both the question and the answer could be updated and it need to be mm-hmm. like and the, the degree to which that doesn't happen is going to f- further dig the hole yeah so you know given how incredibly important stack overflow is to most programmers lives, especially new programmers to something. Yeah.
1: No, I hear you.
0: There we go. There's my, there's yeah. my pitch.
1: <laughs> I like it. I mean, you know, and even if it's not a, a, a core person, I'm sure that there's someone in the community that can sort of try to step up and help do that stuff. I know people try to answer things on there, but it's again, I think it's, it's a user base problem partially or just maybe they just don't have the bandwidth because they're helping also in irc all the time or i don't know but yeah well, it's it's something that should be looked at i do
0: agree and i agree that like i i was prescribing the solution probably too quickly but but i, I guess what i should have said is l- the leadership of in the, in the project itself can make a priority of the, yeah. the, that that yeah. one way the community can really improve itself is fixing that and then how that happens there are obviously multiple ways that it work fine but sure Yeah. So, so this is a lot of work for you to do this project if you're going to do it well and you're doing it well. So why? Like, what's this, let's talk the soft stuff as we close. Like, yeah.
1: So, um, so just in general, um, helping people out is good. This is sort of a way (laughs) that, you know, I, I can do that without, um, so for me, for example, I mean, not to kind of contradict what we just talked about, but my personal view is that answering stuff on Stack Overflow doesn't really do it for me, I guess. Um, I'm happy to talk with people on, on Twitter or something like on chat, something like that that's a little more, um, I don't know the right word for it. But, you know, it, it's, it, it feels better, I guess. It feels more personal. Um, doing this this site to me is just sort of my way to give back without necessarily, you know, I'm not necessarily committing to Ember itself in doing this and giving back, but it's along the same lines of kind of making things better as, as a whole. And it's maybe more along the documentation type path, I guess. Um, but I do think that this resource and even something like it for different, uh, languages maybe is something that's really good to have for people as long as it's kept up to date. So you don't get into that you know,
0: that other problem we just talked about. Yeah. I like um so for what it's worth, I like the like if you bought into the idea that it'd be helpful to have a buddy or a handful of buddies, um, if you're kind of a solo or 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 you know, small team. I, I think that this site is interesting as a possible sort of organizing mechanism for things like that because there is a cohort of people that um, yeah, a pretty big one from rails that is adding Ember and, uh, mm-hmm. they can help each other because they, they, they know, like, like it's easy for me to speak to a rails programmer about an Ember issue for exactly the reason right. that you write this site. Um, right. and I just, I wonder how we, I wonder how we can identify those sort of vectors. Like Twitter obviously works pretty well for me because I know lots of rails people and no decent number of Ember people. So I can just ask and someone's going to reply. Yeah but I don't know that, I've, that works around the
1: idea of, um, you know, just making like a small Slack community for it. Um, I know there's the issue that people are now in like eight or nine different Slack channels, Slack communities, but, um, it might be some, it might be something that's kind of forum like, but not a forum that might be a good way to just sort of bounce ideas, specific ideas off people. I don't know. I don't know if it's actually useful to have that or not, but that's just something I've been considering potentially.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that having a, having a Twitter list is an interesting possible thing. Okay. Like who are the Twitter? I mean, not that people generally use lists that much, but like who is the community of, of, uh, of Twitter, uh, users that sort of fall into the, the folks that would read this site and, and Mm -hmm. that, that is a group that has a lot to, you know, to share with each other and, and could help each other. I think. Yeah. I also like Twitter, so I kind of like things that (laughs) go that way. Cool.
1: Well, there's no reason you can do, you know, you don't have to do just one thing. So (laughs) no, (laughs) (laughs) try not see what works for people.
0: Uh, well, I've enjoyed this. I enjoy your site. I enjoyed the conversation.
1: Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been good. I hope it's, I hope it's something that's, that's helpful to people. Um, and it's something that I've been dealing with a lot. So it's just a matter of making sure. I think the other thing I'm trying to do with it is just to make sure I'm not being kind of too no- noisy with it. And so I've been roughly doing one tip a week. Um, I feel like if I do a little more than that, then it's just too much. But yeah, we'll see. I'm excited to see kind of where it goes, and I'm I'm hoping to at you know once I get a little bit further along, sort of compile the best of these tips. Um, I don't know if you saw on the site that I mentioned working on a guide and that type of thing. I want to have a quick way for people to have a cheat sheet with kind of Ember on the right and rails on the left and just sort of see like comparisons. And then also just a quick kind of short guide of like the top things to, to do. And so I'm, I'm sort of trying to use these tips as a way to, to figure out the best content for that.
0: Is the app an Ember app?
1: It is not, but it probably should be. Boo. I'm actually using middleman. I know.
0: Boo. <laughs> I'm booing. <laughs> I think it'd be good. Like I, I don't know. I'm 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 a fan of going that way.
1: Yeah, it's certainly not not hard to do in that case.
0: But. Especially since um, this is sort of a, a pet peeve, but especially since people are like, yeah, well, my app is a is a document centered app, which is like a th- you know, that's like a trope, you know. And I like <laughs> and and then you'd have to like also deal. I can't believe I didn't say this earlier. The deal with kind of the deployment side of things. Like, how do you make this thing mm-hmm. SEO friendly? How do you like, you know, given the current world, then how does that change once we can run a fast boot server? Yeah. And, and is it, would it make sense? Like if the app itself was an Ember app, then you'd, it would sort of make it more likely you could actually sort of uh, do object lessons on the more DevOpsy things around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For Sure. It's creating to do lists for you.
1: Hey, that's good. As I said, I've got a pretty long queue, so I'm happy to keep it up. It just means that I have a lot to work with, which is good. You don't want to struggle for ideas.
0: Is, is the site itself open? Like, is there a way for people to send in their own tips?
1: It's right now. It's just a button on the bottom. Um, you know, I'm happy to maybe playing around with what you have mentioned earlier, some type of voting thing yeah. might make that a little bit more, you know, more useful, but that's where it is at the moment.
0: Well, it's a nice job. All right. Anything to promote, Chris?
1: Um, so to promote, we've promoted this site quite a bit. So I don't feel like I need to promote that much. Um, for me, I'm seaball uh, underscore on Twitter. If people want to reach out and talk, um, echo bind, like I said, is the, the company that I run. Um, if people need help um, sort of doing this conversion, they're looking at you know, they're really experienced with Rails, but not so much with Ember. Like, absolutely happy to help with that. Yeah, that's pretty much all the plugs I have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys hired for, like, Greenfield projects or?
1: We're a mix. So we do, um, I would actually say the bulk of our stuff lately has been sort of more on the team augmentation side, uh, where we sort of join up with the team and train along the way and um, sort of help that with that migration path. Um, but then there's, you know, it's been, I would say it's probably like an 80, 20 kind of thing.
0: I talked to Brian from dockyard a bit about that. And I think that, I think it's been interesting to see how the Ember consulting community has interpreted the fact that the job seemed, the, the, the client work seems to be shifting that way. mm mm-hmm. Do you think that's accurate to say that, that it's in general I shifting do, that way?
1: From, it has, um, yeah. And I I think that maybe it's just a side effect of people hiring more internally. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I think so. I think think it's just that
0: that Ember is seen as a core competence in more cases that people want to have internally. And therefore, you know, the the lead is going to come from the inside more often now than it used to. I think that's a sign of health, not of of sort of waning interest.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. it's it's interesting from our side it's it's always been skewed a little more towards that and i think part of it might just be because it's a smaller i mean you know we're th- three people um right now so it may be partially from that but um we've always sort of leaned towards towards that side of the coin um, yeah. but it's 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 been nice actually cuz you when you just do greenfield work you don't run into the same problems that you do when you join up with a team and you you go into all the you know existing API work and existing code and try to help people along the way versus just, you have your way of doing things. You do it that way. Every time I kind of like having that, that challenge and that change of pace.
0: Yeah. It's a, oh, it's a bit more real, I think.
1: Yeah, it definitely is.
0: Keeps you. Cause gra- everything grounded. is
1: happy and you know, Greenfield it's yeah, grass is great. Um, <laughs> you're always, everything's right. always good, you know, but yeah. it's It's, it's nice to come to come and get the other perspective on things. I think it it really rounds out, you as a developer to
0: yeah, do all that stuff. I think that's right. All right. Well, on behalf of everyone that listens to this show, uh, thanks for uh, the work you've done on From Rails to Ember and for spending your morning talking to me. Absolutely. Uh, it's been good.
1: Hopefully I do see you at one of the meetups and be good.
0: Yeah, I think I think that I will be there. All right. For those that want to follow me on Twitter, I'm barely known. Thanks.